This conference will now be recorded. I mean, seriously, yeah, every menu on GoToMeeting does not have the record option in it, but it's on the screen. But where do you naturally look when you're trying to find something you don't normally use? You look in the menu, see you? Yeah, that's right. And then there? you go to help and you go, I'll type in record and it doesn't give you anything. <laughs> and then you go right now, <laughs> even though it's staring you right in the face. And right now my Apple Watch is saying, seriously, Esri menu and go, <laughs> go away. Um, how are you? Yeah, no, I'm good. So I, I think today we should start off, and it risks been a bit meta, but I think it's okay. I think we should talk about podcasts and how we both got into podcasts, because I think we've got a bit of a shared history there. And, you know, I just think it might be a slightly interesting thing to talk about. And if it gets boring, we'll talk about something else. Okay. Okay. You because start. I think we both started listening to podcasts when we started listening to the Stack Overflow podcast, probably about 12 years ago with Joel Spolsky and Jeff Atwood. Yeah. Joel's the king, isn't he? Yeah. But I mean, yeah, you say I definitely... the first, the first well, podcast you regularly listen to? I, I... I don't know the times, but I definitely listened to Joel Spolsky. And if he was still on a podcast now, I would listen to it again. My business is essentially based around the 12 steps and the hires I've made. And, you know, when I brought on people like QA people, um, uh, possibly too early in the life of the company, it was because I really believed in Joel Spolsky's 12, 12 steps, you know. Uh, so I built the, the business around it. I'm even... I was I've been listening to this book called um, Deep Work, which I should come back to actually. But um, that that talks about some of the stuff that uh, Joel Spolsky used to talk about. I absolutely love the podcasts, and the podcasts from Joel weren't talking uh, specifically about um, his old articles, were they? It was just moving no, forward. No, they, they were talking generally about what was going on in um, building Stack Overflow and things related to that, as far as I remember. Yeah, like Jeff building servers manually because there was an opportunity to do it and you wouldn't normally have the opportunity. There's some of that stuff I really loved. Like they just wanted to build their own servers, didn't they? It was it was just interesting. Yeah, but then it was yeah. also like two blokes having interesting chats about stuff, pro probably completely unlike this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, then, yeah. but I think also it's interesting because that's where I first came across Jason Calacanis because they had him as a guest on the Stack Overflow blog once. Oh, was that and it? I thought, okay, yeah, because I was going to say about Jason, because uh, This Week in Startups, or I think maybe he had something before This Week in Startups that I used to listen to, but I can't remember. Maybe it no, was just well, I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I, um, I uh, came across Jason Calacanis from that, and I thought, this guy's completely mental, but he's got a lot of interesting things to say. And because he was talking a lot about entrepreneurialism, that was the, probably the first time I really became aware of it. And yeah, I, I'm not saying I'm an entrepreneur now at all, really. But I've I've certainly been a wannabe entrepreneur for about 10 years. And, You're and, entrepreneurish. Yeah, entrepreneurish, yeah. And, um, you know, listening to Jason talk about it made me actually realise, hey, hey, this is actually, you know, what you are and what you should try to do as opposed to just be a programmer. So that opened my eyes to a lot. And I'm pretty sure it was after that that he started the Twist podcast. Because I can remember Twist, for anyone who's listening, who's not us, oh, yeah. um, stands for This <laughs> Week in Startups. And he definitely started that after I listened to him on the um, Stack Overflow blog. Because I remember I listened from episode one 
and I was basically for probably about the first 80 or 90 episodes a completionist and I tried to listen to every episode and then it just got to the point where he was doing multiple podcasts per week and it became too much to keep on top of and I and I let the completionist thing slide but certainly for a good few years I, I was listening to an awful lot of twist podcasts which um has an awful lot of good stuff in it about you know entrepreneurialism and tech entrepreneurialism and you know in uh, interviews with sort of like people in the space who have a lot of interesting things to say yeah just the business models he used to talk about this was before he was doing angel investing and yeah and all that. do you do you actually remember we were in a bar um i think it was what what is now called the 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 brew something that that blues kitchen in in hoxton in london right okay um oh yeah we were there yeah i remember now we stood at the bar in there and we we told him we were listeners of twist jelson calacanis he was stood next to us at the bar right and he, he turned around to us and smiled and he was really nice shook our hands he went okay go right and he wanted us to pitch our startup and we we're like we don't have one <laughs> I was incredibly embarrassed. Um, well, well, I shouldn't have been embarrassed. But you, do you not remember? This, this was at the Future of Web Apps conference or the drinks after. Oh, was it? Okay. okay and he'd yeah, done yeah. a speed pitch thing during the day. And at that time, we were kicking around the idea for full fat jobs. And he basically did this thing where people go and pitch him for a minute. And we said, let's pitch our idea and get the feedback. And I remember we went to pitch the idea. Bearing in mind, we only had a minute. And I think we we queued up early, so we're first in the queue. And he had this timer thing on, so it's obvious everyone would only get a minute. And we sat down, and you started talking, and you talked for about 45 seconds of the minute, completely missing the point of why it might be a good idea. And to Jason's credit... To Jason's credit, to be fair, he turned the clock over rather than say, right now, go away. But I was there trying to get a word and entry. He's going to go, no, but this is the real point. And you go, and another thing, and another thing, and another thing. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, really? I can't remember that. So we were pitching full fat jobs. What yeah. was full fat jobs? What, what, what was its special thing? I can't remember. So that. the idea was that, as we all know, IT, well, all recruitment, but particularly IT recruitment is horrific. And the idea was now, and I, I'm trying to remember this, so I might get it wrong, but essentially it was a job board where rather than people applying, you could actually forward someone you know who you know is a good fit. So when, and then if you did that and that person then got empl employed, you would actually get a cut of the equivalent of the recruiter fee, which would be a small amount rather than the, current sort of like 10 to 20 percent of you know yearly salary that recruiters currently charge the idea being that if you're someone who knows a lot of people who are like you know php programmers and you see php jobs you can always make a um uh, a, a side gig of forwarding people jobs that they they'd be good for um, and this exists now right does so it not it's not called for jobs yeah but uh when we were doing the peer one stuff building peer one's hosting portal um they used to, all of their guys used to share jobs all the time on linkedin and and it was a company thing and when they shared the jobs on linkedin if someone applied via that person's link oh right, i see what you mean yeah got a bonus yeah so that that totally is just... actually like a software solution that does that 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. all through okay. some. Um, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but we actually integrated it when we built that that thing. That we integrated that platform. I can't remember what the name of the platform was, but we integrated that into their hosting portal so that you could apply for jobs and manage your servers. Okay, so so what you're saying is that someone built it, they've made a business out of it, but when we pitched it to Jason Calacanis, you took up 45 seconds, so we didn't do it. Yeah, <laughs> that's Is that true. what you're telling me? <laughs> that's 100% correct. <laughs> I'm sorry, is that the reason we're not, <laughs> we are where we are? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> right i think we've been a bit solipsistic just talking about ourselves now um okay yeah so anyway so and then so i just want to go back to podcasts so i, I started listening to the twist podcast a lot which i think you did as well oh yeah but then, every i was a creationist as well yeah but in conjunction with that i also started listening to um or, or trying to listen to sort of comedy podcasts because i've always had you know a love of comedy and things that make me laugh and at the time, Richard Herring had just about started the Collings and Herring podcast, which ran for probably about three or four years. And he did like well over 100 episodes of it. And I just think it's interesting that alongside sort of like tech podcasts, it's actually become, and certainly more recent years, a real medium for people to actually uh, try and actually run businesses and sort of like almost like media companies on it. Well, yeah. Uh, what's the what's the big guy's name who sold out last week? Joe Rogan. Oh um, yeah. So I read both sides of that. There was uh, he sold. I don't even know what. Wasn't he actually a fighter? So he was a, a comedian, poker host, and mixed martial arts commentator. Yeah, he's maybe not a he was a fighter. He, he, like a presenter and commentator, I think. But I don't think he ever did fighting, as far as I know. Oh, okay, okay. Well, he's written a book called Jiu-Jitsu for Mixed Martial Arts. Maybe he was just good, oh, right. but not, you know, not good enough oh, for the yeah, show. Okay. So. Well, I don't know. I don't really follow MMA, so, yeah. But it was so certainly anyway, he, most commonly a presenter slash commentator. So he had a podcast that he's just sold to Spotify. Um, and I, I, I read a number of people, like Andrew Wilkinson, have you, do, he, Tiny Seed, have you, do, not Tiny Seed, is it called Tiny Seed? The, yeah, the startup accelerator. No, no, that's Rob Wallin. I can't remember the name of Andrew Wilkinson's company, but basically he owns Dribble and things like that. And he basically buys SaaS businesses and he's completely happy for the founders to just walk away. He just gives them the money and they just walk away. Or they can stay and do the work. But he's a really fascinating person to, to follow on Twitter um, because he just buys these businesses. Uh, it, the way he talks about it, he just he'd like it's almost like you tell him the name and he just buys it. I'm sure it's not really like that. Um, uh, and he was writing this thing about how Joe Rogan totally undersold himself, and that if he could have got five percent of his audience to give him five dollars a month, he would have made more money just for himself or some something along those lines. So, what do you say? Um, sold his podcast. I mean, surely he's still going to present it. Otherwise, it's not his podcast anymore. Uh, yeah, yeah, but it's only so it's not going like something on Spotify. a software business. Yeah, yeah. So it's more about you know, you know, so it's the, more about this... broadcasting rights than it is kind yeah, of. Yeah, he sold the distribution. Yeah, he sold the distribution. So, if you think about the concept that podcasts have historically been this free and open. Thing. Now you've already, you've always had things like Audible that have always had some private content, right? But podcasts in general become this free thing that you effectively pay to put on the internet, and people can download, and then eventually you'll sell advertising and and uh, you know whatever. Um, 
and make some cash out of it if you want to make cash. Now, I, I'm less interested in the cash from it because um, I think we're doing about well, I think it just costs us money. I just there's, there's no way this makes money. But are you talking about this podcast? Yeah, this 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 podcast. I'm, I'm, this I'm already podcast. sitting in a bar full of money from all the uh, revenue we've got from it. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I've, I've already put my, the order for my Tesla for when the money comes in as well. Uh, oh, good. I hope I'm a bit premature with that. Yeah, yeah. Oh well. Um, so yeah. Anyway, the Joe Rogan thing. Fascinating that that there were there were multiple commentators. Some commentators thinking he'd done a great thing and got an exit for a podcast and wonderful, and others thinking this is terrible. And um, who's the Apple guy that writes Overcast? Uh, Marco oh, Arnold. Yeah. Yeah, he was really against it, um, really, really against it. Uh, but of course, he runs uh, a public a podcast uh, app. Yeah, podcast app. So he would be against it because he's yeah the free and open web thing. I mean, I tend to agree on being on the free and open web. I mean, my business always works on top of open source software. I just, I just think it's the way I say. It. Well, although everyone says they're working on top of open source software, but then we all go and host it on Amazon, don't we? So maybe we're, we yeah, think exactly. we are more free but, than but we are. Aside, but on theme as well, the first time I came across Joe Rogan, he was a guest on the Pendulet radio show podcast, which I also was a completionist of. And in fact, I think I've, in about 2000, between 2008 and 2010, I think I listened to all of it twice. I was that much of a completionist. But anyway, he he, he was a guest on there. And he was on there with bad astronomer Phil Plate, and he was basically arguing for the moon landers be a conspiracy, and Phil Plate was arguing that they're not, and it was ridiculous, and he's clearly a Fruit Loop. Okay. Was he just doing it to take a position there, to, to sort of get I an audience? I don't think so. I think he actually believes it. Okay. I mean, whether well, he's changed his mind, I don't real. know. Sorry. Do you think the moon landings are real? I don't do. shut up. Of course they are. Yeah. Uh, and, that's not well, even what do you mean, should have, I was agreeing with you. I <laughs> know, oh, but you shouldn't even mention it. It's like, do you believe in evolution? It's like, it's like you you know, of, of all the things we could discuss, it's it's just like, you know, even asking the question is a bit stupid. Well, okay. I don't think it is stupid, but fair enough. You just want to <laughs> shut down free speech. Okay, <laughs> don't even start on that. that. That's a whole area that I think this podcast should definitely not be about. A, because I don't think either of us are qualified to say anything that's particularly deep about that. And B, um, that that that's a, it's a, whole, a whole rabbit hole, isn't it? Yeah. So um, so uh, I, I love that... Um, I don't want to talk about politics, by the way. Let's not do that. But I love that Dominic Cummings got caught editing his blog. Um, what did you think about that? Well, I, I just thought it's interesting that he's supposed to be this great brain who understands social media and the internet and how to influence people. But it didn't occur to him that, and obviously he edited his blog to try and make it look like he was predicting the the pandemic a year ago where there was no one to talk about it. So he he he's supposed to look like this great genius who's like, you know, a great predictor of things that are happening. But either he, so, and you'd imagine someone like him would understand about the internet time machine and wayback.org and that, um, you know, different versions of this can exist and people can find these changes have been made. Um, 
but perhaps he doesn't. So I don't. I, I was confused by that because, uh, particularly in this um, big sort of press conference where he's supposed to be sort of explain the situation and being super honest, and the the whole point is that um, if we believe him, it should be fine. Even though obviously some people believed him, and still didn't think it was fine. But the point is, he was supposed to be laying his cards on the table, going, "This is what I did," and that'd be the end of the matter. So it's it's weird that he did something. That was obviously a lie in that press conference. That could also easily be found to be a lie with evidence easily available to anyone on the internet. So I've just led to conclude that either he's not this tech genius that understands these things because he's not aware of the internet time machine, or he is and he just doesn't care. And it's almost like I'm going to tell this great lie in this press conference, as and I'm, I'm thumbing your nose to you by doing it. It's 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 quite bizarre. I mean, what do you mm. think? Do you, do you think he's some genius who understands his stuff or is he just, you know, actually quite ignorant and doesn't understand that, you know, unless you block it, that it's going to keep a history of all, all your content and its changes? I mean, in general, I think I, I, politics is so hard, isn't it? But I, I think that what we've got is the government really trusts this guy because he's had results in the past about trying to move people and create a change and you know it's clear from him even considering people like eugenics people and whether that was a mistake or not is, is less important it's more that i think there is some belief there that he can assemble there's some great team of really elite thinkers and push the country forward in a way that it wouldn't be possible to push the country forward with the normal bureaucrats you know um, this idea that your friendly local MP who really tries to do it. I mean, you know, where I grew up, there was this MP and he was fabulous, right? And I used to go to his social club and his name was Dennis Turner. And um, at the end of his career, I think he was most famous for getting rid of the rats personally from the Houses of Parliament, you know? And so, yeah, that, what a great guy. He did all these great things and he was good for the town. But was he and let's not really aim at him but are is the general you know politician man on the street are they really the big change the country you know needs or are they just the the representatives of the people who want to live fairly static and comfortable lives and just want to push forward so where i think we are now is the government have clearly got this idea the massive majority that they want to try and push something huge forward they want to make a big difference boris wants to be known as the the you know the peacetime winston churchill uh, so how does he make a really large change and they've got this approach they think that this approach is uh, by collecting some great minds together allowing them to do some deep work because they've got four years to do it and they've got a huge um lead in 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 the in the Houses of Parliament, right? They're, their numbers are massive, so they can get anything through they want. So they fundamentally want to remake Britain, uh, and they wouldn't have been able to do that in the EU. Now, it's not that I agree with that either, but they wouldn't have been able to do that, but they've got an opportunity to do something really large. Now, wouldn't that be fabulous if they could actually make something really good out of uh, things like Brexit, live in the EU, um, if we could come out of the COVID thing uh, really 
in, with great power compared to other countries so that we've got an advantage um, and that economically we do this and society does this and you know great growth because of this and if he was that intelligent that he could do that and it, this this assembled team of experts that they find uh, that they hire. I mean, he wrote a blog post after the election saying, this is what I'm seeking. You know, you can go back and read that blog post as long as he hasn't edited it. Um, saying, you know, I'm going after this big, scary goal. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Jim Collins' Good to Great, where you have this big, or, or uh, uh, audacious, hairy goal, or, uh, Bohag, Bohag, something like that. Um, so I'm a big fan of that. So I, I like that idea. But if the wheels, oh, this is really long answer, isn't it? But the wheels are already coming off. He's genius, aren't they? If the wheels are already coming off the genius and he hasn't made any of the large changes, then that's scary that we're betting this really large future possible society, future possible economic outlook on a guy with great big ideas, but he got caught editing a blog post and driving around the country. It's just a bit disappointing, isn't it? Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, you know, even if he's got these big ideas, I don't trust him and the Conservative Party to have big ideas that represents everyone. That he, he might have big ideas that represent people like him and probably the people who fund them. But I don't think they're going to do things that represent everyone so that everyone benefits for a second. But well, I think it's getting, I think, I I think think it's getting way too political. I don't think this is what we should Yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to talk about the, the specific parties. Right? It's but, like talking to Jason Calacanis. You go, I don't want to talk about politics. I'll ask you one question and you'll answer the last three minutes. <laughs> I'm going to turn my clock over now. <laughs> well, uh, luckily, we're not pitching a new society to Jason Calacanis today. Thank goodness. I'll tell you another podcast that um, I've always listened to and I still dip into. I don't listen to it. Um, and I'm going to, maybe I'll be scandalous here. Um, Startups for the Rest of Us with Rob Wallin. It's so good. Yeah, because I've, it's I've, half I've, an I've hour, listened little to snippet. that a little bit. But um, yeah, I, 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 that's not one that I'm a complete, anything like a completionist on. Well, so the whole, the, the whole concept is advice and chat on how to bust out the day job by doing stuff on the side. And then... Um, and then you know become sort of independent and build software products and you know it's it's aimed at programmers and people who want to do this and stuff um and i've had a couple of criticisms of it over the years but i want to say up front that one 99 not 100 99 i think the show is amazing and i think it's i just think the consistency it publishes every tuesday even when they're on holiday they'll they'll record a few in advance it's just a great thing, and I think Rob Walling has this tempo that is um, that is just great. Um, I've disagreed with some of the stuff over the years. Um, for instance, he had this whole stair step approach to how you should break out, which I thought was a good idea, but I didn't necessarily think it was a good idea for the programmers trying to do it. But you know, saying that, here's me with no SaaS business um, still. Uh, building that stuff, you know, building stuff for others, which is a very enjoyable uh, position to be in. I love uh, building software and um, and making it for people, and I love seeing the results that come out of it. But, you know, so I've always liked the podcast. But one thing that's been addressed recently is there was always this implied imbalance, or not, not implied, there was always this imbalance between Rob, the successful one, 
doing well, pushing things, having an agenda, actually pushing forward. And the other host, um, who's left recently, I think he's had some mental problems, um, and I hope he gets well soon. Uh, he left. I've forgotten his name. It's terrible. They host Mike Tabor. Mike Tabor. And I just think that they were they weren't well matched. Uh, they were great at talking on the show, but it always felt like Rob was talking about moving forward and Mike was talking about making their progress. Um, and Mike tried this for a number of years. And so it was funny when you were talking, when you were listening to the show and you were listening to the advice of Rob, you think, yep, I will take your advice. You've done it. You've made it. And when Mike would speak, it was harder to take his advice because he hadn't got anywhere. You know, and um, yeah. I really hope he gets there. And and I, I I promise that's there's nothing I'm saying here is negative about him as a person. It was just that the imbalance on the show got stronger and stronger, and stronger over the years, especially because you know when Drip came out, the the email software that Rob got, uh, you know, Rob made. Um, yeah, that it was clearly a large product that it got acquired. He you know he moved over to do his um his uh, so, so, who, so who's on the podcast that. now then? Rob is the main host, and he has other people come on. But he get it. It works slightly differently. Like sometimes it's a chat share now. Sometimes he, I've I've heard a couple where he does it on his own. But he, he's, there's a new host, a female host, and I can't remember her name. But the thing is, for me on this this show now, I dip into it rather than I used to listen to it all the time. But I dip into it now. Um, they still all get downloaded to my uh, phone, but I. I might do two minutes on one and decide the topic's not for me. Um, yeah, but then when you've been you listening to something for years, I think you do become more of a, a dip in and dip out. And which is why, actually, I want to I want to put podcasts and, and put a question to you about podcasts. So there was something special about Deep Space Nine, right? And you've told me about this before. Deep Space Nine was the first show to to have underlying it was still monster of the week of course you know but it still had it had some underlying plot that carried on all the way through is that Not right Do you remember? Nine. it was babylon five i think babylon babylon five right so my issue with podcast scenarios i think that we need to arrive and we need to get to the babylon five issue because um there is nothing wrong with missing an episode of a podcast, right? You won't miss that that monster's going to kill that monster or whatever, you know. Yep. Um, so for, for the next phase of podcasts, for people to get uh, truly great audience engagement, I think there needs to be an underrun, you know, an underlying um, plot device. You know, so you, for instance, you're, you're like calling we, for the introduction of story arcs into podcasts. Absolutely, one hundred percent. That is absolutely what what they need. So do you remember, they need did, you, did you ever used to watch the X Files? Yeah, I love the X Files. But uh, I, 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 X Files was, like, was great until story arcs, but that was just because but, they were no, great no, at writing. No, I I think because I remember certainly the early seasons of X Files because X Files really was monster of the week, wasn't it? But every yeah, it now and lovely. then you'd have like an arc episode, and that would get people really excited. Um. But they were few and far between. Because um, with Babylon, 5, yeah, but in later series, it became all about the stupid smoking man and and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and I just went off the I show. Think it, the problem was, it's it's like it's great if you have a mystery and you're giving people clues, but once you actually start like developing the mystery and 
and like you know moving the plot on in the mystery it, if you haven't got a good fundamental plot for the mystery it, it then gets bored very quickly and i think that's what x-files uh suffered from and i think that basically is just lost all over but don't get me started on lost i liked the first series of lost um i liked and all i think of them. i think it's up great until that... very near the end when you realize that they were making it up as they went along and i think in not so many words damon lindelof who was basically the main guy on um on lost as as pretty much apologized for that and and re recognized it was a mistake because um, they they came up all this mystery stuff. They dropped loads of clues. They made up. They had a grand plan, and and all along it was just a complete facade. They didn't know what they were doing. They're just like saying, "Oh, should we just have a polar bear here? Yeah, let's have a polar bear here. How are we going to explain that? We'll worry about it later. It's just part of the mystery." And <laughs> there was never a satisfying explanation by the end. Uh, and the thing that absolutely sums it up is uh, I saw this tweet. I can't remember who who it's by. But they were saying, I just saw, you know, the new uh, box set of Lost and the tagline on the side is, what if everything happened for a reason? And she goes, yeah, that would have been ideal. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Anyway. I don't think I saw all of Lost. I've just got fed up with it. Yeah, uh, like I am when I get into something, I was a complete completionist about it. And... I just remember watching it end and thinking, did I enjoy that? And thinking, no, actually, that was shit, wasn't it? And, you know, yeah. I, a lot of people have complained about the Game of Thrones ending. And the Game of Thrones ending wasn't up to the quality of the rest of the, the programme, but it didn't completely, like, eviscerate what had gone before, like uh, Lost had, like, like mm. Lost did. I don't see how the Game of Thrones could have ended in in many different ways you know it had to end with some ridiculous event because yeah it's I, basically I think... based upon british history isn't it kind of I, I just think they um i think they're just rushy ending and the whole daenerys character turn from being like someone who's a hero to someone who's oh whoa whoa um... no spoilers you can't talk about that oh, oh, oh have you watched it no, of course I've watched it. Oh, yeah. Are you talking our, about our, our listeners? listeners? Sorry, sorry. Right. Well, let's remember in the show notes, we'll we'll put in the, the timestamp when we start talking about um, Game of Thrones. We'll say anybody who wants to listen to this and hasn't seen Game of Thrones, don't listen from this point. <laughs> okay. And I'm sorry to anyone I've just spoiled. Yeah, I, yeah if, okay. if you come and see me personally, I will I will apologise to you personally for that. <laughs> That's something I don't expect to spend a lot of time on. <laughs> um, okay, any more podcasts that you love? Yeah, so two more podcasts, which I think... Cause, and, and the thing is, it, this kind of like bar, speaks to the theme of like neat internet businesses and finding niches. There's... Two podcasts I really enjoy that are quite one of them's really niche, well, and one of them is called Quickly Kevin, which is a podcast about nineties football, which okay. I, I think I think for us is like the ideal subject because I I mean I still love football now, but I just don't have the time to spend on watching it and reading about it and consuming it like I did in the nineties. So it's almost like my my memories of what happened in football in the nineties are stronger than what happened in football you know in the last few years and it's a podcast just about that and it's got um josh widdicombe on it who's pretty funny 
and they have like guests who uh, are either like ex-footballers or managers from the period or they've got other comedians who like have like watched a football documentary from the 90s or something like that and just talking about it and it's 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 really funny but also really nostalgic in a good way and it's just great to hear all, you know people talk about Italian 90 over and over again and England losing on penalties and Gaza and all that stuff um and it's just interesting that you'd think that exclusively 90s football was quite a narrow niche but it, you know for people like me it's really entertaining and i think i think you know they, they get quite significant numbers listen to us and the other one is this uh uh podcast called the rule of three pod which is by two comedy writers uh jason Hazley and i can't remember the night name of the other one i'll look it up and and basically each week mustn't say basically all the time each week they have one guest who brings something in comedy to talk about and they basically and they deconstruct it and just talk about what's good about it and why it's funny um and it goes into quite a lot of detail about the art of creating comedy and again um probably not quite as obvious in niche as quickly kevin but it i really love that as well jason hazley and joel morris that's who does that one yeah okay um i i have been listening to uh, a number of different ones. Like, for instance, I really like the Tim Ferriss podcast, and, and I find that he's um, he divides the opinions, you know, massively. I don't understand why so much. You'd think people could just leave it alone, but he just divides opinions. People either hate him or love him. He's the marmite. Um, there are some that I listen to that are quite fun. Uh, I want to give a massive mention to Dan Carlin's hard hardcore history. His coverage of the um, the Khans is some of the greatest history I've ever experienced. Um, coverage of the what? The Khans, you know, like um, Genghis Khan. Oh, right, I see. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, he's done a load of it, but there's the Genghis Khan stuff now I think you have to pay a pound for or whatever. But um, the, if you, I don't seriously, if you haven't listened to it, you need to find a way to get the wrath of the Khans. It's literally hours and hours and hours of, of gold dust about what it was like to live under the rule of the Khans and how horrible they were. But also, he said, he's, he's got this sort of position where um, he says, yes, of course, he was a horror, but this is the stuff that he enabled. You know, for instance, he enabled the Silk Road. I think, there's something in it about how he enabled the Renaissance to actually happen after he'd gone. I can't remember the specifics, but um, so you come away with this completely horrific um, idea that Genghis Khan was just this terrible, terrible person. But at the same time, because of his terribleness and the rule of law and all this, and um, law and order, he he, um, he brought around some some great things in the world that just so happened because he had he'd created these trade routes that he didn't he wanted them for himself but they carried on existing after him sure um, i guess it's a theme of history that conflict uh provokes um progress doesn't it i mean the obvious example is obviously the second world war and space uh exploration but um it just you know it's it's just kind of truism of history i guess isn't it yeah and then um, moving away from podcasts but not away from listening to audio 
Um, I have been listening to a book called Deep Work, and um, it's by Cal Newport on uh, on Audible. I love Audible books now. And I, and up until we were locked down, I would get through quite a few Audible books because I'd be driving around the place and I'd put them on instead of the radio. I also find that when I'm driving, if I've got an audio book on, I become less tired than if I have the you know music on, um, which is which is strange. You'd think it'd be the other way around that the music would lift you up or something. So mm. Deep Work by Cal Newport. I really think you should read it. Um, and it's about how the world, I've been really thinking about this for my business as well. The world has become too focused on the instant reaction. You know, you see email being replaced by Slack and then the constant presence. The fact that you can reach people on their mobile phones constantly. And I'm not just talking about by phoning them. Um, and how this is going against all of the major achievements in in uh, in uh, ac academia are achieved by people literally just sitting around working hard on stuff and not being interrupted and not being bothered about you know whether their emails just come in i mean i i get it like some people in work need to respond to emails quickly and need to be on things like slack but you know i've got this team of developers really should i be cutting them off of slack and saying you know stay off facebook or stay off facebook anyway poisonous bloody place um i could do and and just crack on do the do the work and it's not not some sort of taskmaster attitude here it's it's get into the zone don't let interrupts get you um you know get into yeah, the no, zone i, really I, I agree i think you know uh, as you well know, um, when you're programming, there's this concept of flow when you kind of like build up all the sort of mental constructs in your mind and you kind of understand it all and you start putting it together and you produce a lot of work. And then if someone interrupts you, then, then that all falls apart. It takes a sort of good few minutes, if not longer, to get back to that sort of state of flow where you had everything sort of fitting together in your head so that you could create the code for it. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think probably there's a lot to say to programmers to say, you know, don't turn off your Slack for the next few hours while you're doing this. I can just imagine yeah, you where you, you, you tell them to do that, but but then you can't get a hold of them, so you ring them. Well, yeah, I mean, I understand. But I think that's, I almost think that's the way it should be is don't worry about Slack. Which, you know, what, what we try to do at my company is we have meetings with customers and various things in the morning. And in the afternoon, we try and keep it as free as possible to just crack on. And that's my sort of hybrid version. But I'd like to get close to the, the full version, which is, you know, if you're focusing, focus. If you well, need to be of, Why not get rid of Slack altogether then and just use email? Honestly, it's a security blanket. I I feel... I mean, have you, do you, I used Todoist, and remember we were at the Business of Software conference, which I love. Um, yeah. And we um, we sat with the guy who's from yeah. Doist, the company, and he he writes that Slack or that Slack alternative called Twist, yeah. and um, and that basically looks like it looks like Outlook. So I think you file your issues, and people comment on the issues, but somehow that goes to everyone in your organisation. So, I mean, we use Confluence as which is probably some, you know, if if Confluence and Slack had a baby, they'd probably have Twist. I, and I also try and get more into the um, asynchronous communication, but 
it's this is a tricky thing i really want to get closer to i mean the closer to um Asynchronous working practices where people have just, you know, we all have our deadlines. You never really get away from a deadline, even if you think you are. Um, the the deadline might just be that nobody's going to give you any money money to carry on, you know? Yeah. It's still a deadline. Um, we all have these things, but what's the best way that you can empower your people to to push on? And also, you know, with I think with most developers, they're really quite happy. I mean, we all work at home, right? I think for most developers, they're really happy if they can get into the flow and they can get into focus and they can push on. You know, I know when when I had a job job and I worked for other companies, if I didn't have meetings for the rest of the day, which would be a blessing, I would spend the 10 minutes making a playlist that was longer than the rest of the day so that I wouldn't need to go back into, um, you know, Spotify or Winamp yeah. or whatever it was. And and picking new music, I'd just go, right, there, there's now, there's like six hours of music ahead of me. Get your, and I had noise cancelling headphones, the whole thing, and I would just get on with it. And I and honestly, I never used to even look up. I never used to look up from that. And yeah. um I'd just I'd just be there focused and I wouldn't be messing about and I'd just get stuff done. And now I work at home. I, I'm like that now anyway. I mean, I'm in the house. Uh I'm a room away from the living room where the kids are doing their homeschool at the minute during lockdown i just don't i don't go i mean i'll go in and see them at lunchtime and stuff like that but i just focus and now i'm not focusing on programming and i don't i don't think some of the stuff i do now requires as much deep work because you know lots of little bits of sales and whatever and often with that it's just being responsive and pushing things forwards and backwards so maybe i'm the not not the person that needs the you know the classic yeah i mean something that struck me while you were talking um is obviously this concept of flow and not being interrupted is important but also if you're working from home and you're potentially isolated slack probably gives you a better impression of other people being there and some sense of sort of shared community in a way that email wouldn't even partly for its immediacy and partly because you can see who's online and obviously um seeing someone online isn't quite the same as them being at the next desk and you see them but it, it gives you a sense of people being there and not being on your own, I guess. Yeah, there is that, isn't there? I mean, at the minute, because of because um, of lockdown, we've got people working funny hours because during the day, they're um, they're 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 doing homeschooling, you know. Um, yeah. And like there, uh, there's, there's two people doing it, and the one guy who's doing it. I think he's doing homeschooling and then he's working all the way through. And it's just amazing. I don't know how he does his head doesn't explode. Yeah, no, I'm sure it's like two working days. Yeah, very hard. You know, that's hard. Yeah. What else have you got? I mean, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you one thing that um I'm still annoyed at. Just printers. I haven't been using printers for years. I hate printers. Until my that's kids have had to homeschooling. Babies and have a paperless office so i don't have to get the printer working well yeah so i i you at work i'm pretty much paperless um but i've got a printer and i've and we i've never used a printer so much um but yeah, my same, kids same are doing they, they get sheets sent home and you need to print them out and you, yeah, they yeah, need that's to work exactly what we do as well yeah and um and I, you know, I don't even have a terrible. I don't have like some WH Smith fifty quid printer. I've got a three hundred or four hundred pound Samsung laser printer, and they're just all shit. 
everything is shit. That and my wife came in and said, the person who figures out how to make a good printer that doesn't basically chew your paper up, uh, constantly require new ink, you know, just have a bigger yeah. ink cartridge. Um, yeah, even if they were charging a thousand pounds, if you knew it was just gonna work when you press print. I had to press print before we came online here. I was I was on the call, or listeners, I was on the call with Dan before we'd press record. Um, <laughs> and I was trying to print. I thought, this will be done in 20 seconds. I was waiting for a minute for it to come out. I am wired to this printer, right? It's yeah, not- and then you press print, and then, like, nothing happens for, you know, 20 seconds. You think, Is it working? Is it not working? And, and you just have this fear that it's not going to work because... Once you've got to get into fixing the printer, and the thing is, obviously, your your wife just assumes that it's your responsibility to fix it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a software developer. Fix the printer. <laughs> yeah, that, that's like asking me to change the spark plugs in the car. I just don't know how to do it. I mean, I can look it up and try and possibly muddle my way through it, but it's not something I just know how to do. Um, but but yeah, it's it, it when you just have that twenty second pause before. It, it clicks in you just got the fear it's not going to work then you might actually have to try and fix it and then you know half the time it comes out you know screws the paper or it gets stuck or it's got weird lines on it and yeah not a fan of princes paperless offices all the way yeah it's a shame you'd think that more could be done along the lines of the kindle you know yeah yeah absolutely uh, ele- electronic paint Eating screens for kids, yeah. Anyway, I think that's uh, that's that's us wrapped, right? Yeah, I think that's a good time for us to wrap up. Uh, I, I think we started out strong, uh, had a, a lull in the middle, got a bit better, and I feel it's tapering off now, so a good time to stop. This is definitely tapering off whilst moaning about printers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, see you, mate. See you next time. Bye.